Welcome to Automotive Insiders, the podcast series presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. You'll hear from automotive industry experts on the critical issues that are impacting the mobility landscape. Get actionable insights on how to thrive in Automotive 2.0. Now, here's your Automotive Insiders host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA, the Original Equipment Suppliers Association. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, producer and host. We have a really interesting topic. It impacts everybody in our listening audience, whether you're a member of OESA, whether you're in the automotive field, this is important. So let's talk. We're going to be discussing emerging environmental issues. Think EPA, think EJ. My guest is going to define that in a moment. I'm very proud to be speaking today with Kurt Kissling. He spells his last name K-I-S-S-L-I-N-G, if you want to find him online. He is a partner in Warner, Norcross, and Judd's practice in the Detroit office, and Kurt counsels clients across the country, across the United States, on environmental issues. He especially focuses on the Clean Air Act and its local equivalents. Kurt Kessling, happy to meet you. Thank you so much for joining me. Would you please do me the honor of an introduction? Who are you? Where do you come from? How'd you get into automotive law, if I can say that, if that's correct? And Kurt, let's find out who you are, please. First off, thank you for having me today. It's my pleasure to be here. Uh, as a Michigander by birth and where I currently live, I can walk over and watch the Woodward Dream Cruise each summer. It, automotive has been a big part of uh, of my professional career. Uh, it's hard to practice law in Michigan without uh, running across an automotive supplier. So uh, it's very much been a part of my uh, practice for the last 20 years Right out of law school, you know, we were counseling automotive suppliers, uh, people in the automotive industry, and uh, things haven't really changed in that sense. The The client base remains the same, even if the issues they face is, is changing. Kurt, I have a personal question for you. Do you remember your first car? I do. Uh, it was a Chevy Cavalier. It was a stick shift. And uh, I got a lot of mileage out of that car driving back and forth to uh, Vermont, where I went to law school. So... Uh, many fond memories traveling a bleak road in Ontario, going back and forth between Michigan and Vermont. <laughs> You're going to give us the year of the car and the color? I'm, I'm, uh, I like to know. Uh, no, I am not. I think <laughs> it was, it was. Let me put it this way: I bought the car for a couple hundred bucks. Okay. Well, sometimes those are the best cars, and they serve us very well. I'm glad to hear it was sturdy and reliable, and that's what we still look for in our cars. Kurt, let's get down to business here. We're here to talk about your expertise on environmental issues as they impact automotive. So let me start out with a brief topic introduction here, and then you can take over and share your knowledge. As the new administration in the U.S. takes over, takes form, takes shape, takes hold, the automotive industry, like many, is awaiting new environmental initiatives by the U.S. EPA, that's the Environmental Protection Agency, and they have pledged bold action on something I'm new to this topic, EJ, you call it environmental justice, change, and a lot more. So, Kurt, would you please unpack this topic for us and tell us what's new, what's important, what are we waiting for? Go ahead. Sure. I think this traces back to the fact that we have a new president with a new set of goals and ambitions, and the rollout of the, the President Biden, the Michael Regan EPA agenda, is, is still underway. 
but I think what's pretty clear is there are a few topics that overlap, in fact, that are going to be uh, key points for their agenda. Uh, one of them is environmental justice, which we just often abbreviate to EJ. Uh, another one is climate change, which I think everybody is familiar with, at least to some extent, but overlap can overlap a lot with EJ. Uh, and then another issue that overlaps quite a bit is uh, ESG reporting, environmental sustainability, governance reporting. Uh, that takes into issues such as EJ and climate change when a company is looking at what types of risks it's facing long term. Interesting. I'm intrigued by the word justice, environmental justice. It sounds like a legal term. It sounds like something for the courts to decide. It, can you give me any origin, Kurt? Uh, I know we weren't planning to talk about this, but I think our listeners, our, our viewers, whoever sees the video would like to know environmental justice, justice for whom, by whom. Can I say it that way? Sure. And and it's it would it would be nice if there was a real easy way to describe it. Uh, there are, in fact, complicated EPA websites that will give you an analysis of whether a geographic area fits an EJ profile. And what it, what it typically looks at are things like, you know, by race, uh, by uh, college education, by poverty, uh, by pollution in the area. It, it, it looks at all of these factors together to identify neighborhoods that in some ways are bearing a greater share of the burden uh, of emissions than say, you know, other, other uh, areas such as, you know, if you're maybe in a more rural area where you don't have a lot of smokestacks. Okay, thank you very much. Good to know. I might have a homework assignment there to go find out more about it. Just, it's an intriguing term. We don't usually hear that word. Am I right? Yeah, and, and, and I, th I think one thing it links back to is civil rights. There, there, there is a Civil Rights Act component to much mm -hmm. of this. What makes EJ interesting is, you know, a lot of times people will say, well, I, you know an EJ location when you see it. And, and being a Michigander, you know, Flint dominated the headlines a while ago. There are certainly areas of Detroit that would fit that profile as well. Um, but these are areas where, you know, if you're doing business, it's it's becoming more difficult and it might become even more difficult to expand, build, grow in those areas because we really don't know the full extent of what environmental justice will translate to. Because we have things like the Clean Air Act, you go through set permitting uh, processes. How EJ is going to affect that and change that remains to be seen, although there are a few early returns. Interesting. And I know in your notes to me before we started our conversation today, Kurt, you said that EJ is somewhat nebulous. So as you say, it's it's still being formed, it's still being hammered out, if you will. But it is addressing, EPA is addressing it in various actions. So let's talk about things like inspections and something called innovative relief and communication. I'm going to let you go through the list of what can people expect or what should we be looking for that might come up on the EJ agenda, Kurt? Sure. It, what we've seen so far is that there are some permitting, uh, permit a new facility or permit a modification at existing facility that have become a lot more complicated based on EJ being an issue of concern. And, and the easy answer is if you're in a big city, if you're in an EJ area, uh, your permitting pathway might be a little more complicated than it was in the past. And we've, we've seen a few high profile examples uh, in Chicago, down in the Caribbean, where uh, permitting basically came to grinded to a halt. 
So I think what it's going to do is make it a lot more difficult if you're planning innovations at your facilities to get that permitting underway and, and to completion, not maybe fully understanding what environmental justice will mean, because it can mean different things. And you hit a couple of them. Um, I mean, I think on the one hand, environmental justice means you're going to be seeing your inspectors more often if you're located in one of these areas. But I think it also is going to mean your permitting is going to have a little extra scrutiny. And the more boxes you check, you know, if you're going through permitting in Flint, Detroit, you know, Chicago, it could be any big city. Um, it, that the permitting outlook, I think, is probably more complicated than it was and probably a little bit more subject to uh, uh, curveballs that we maybe haven't seen in the past. Would you say, Kurt, as an overview on this, that perhaps the EPA might be saying the regulators in certain locales haven't been aggressive enough, that the inspections have been a little too lax, that maybe we're letting too many things squeak through that permissibility. You check that box, but is it really? What, what do you, is that the intent of this new, these new policies? What, what's your take? Yeah, I think that's definitely part of it. Um, and, and I know, you know, it, it varies a little bit by location. You know, doing automotive supplier work, you know, I, I did work at the NUMI facility in, in, in Northern California. I've done work in the Carolinas, you know, depending on the location and what the local governments have been doing. And in some, it's on some level, it depends too upon what the environmental uh, groups are doing there as well. Uh, it, it looks a little bit different. Now, you, you hit a good point that in some, in some locations, it probably is dealing with the fact that there maybe wasn't as much attention at that mm -hmm. local level. But I think even in areas where you have had a very active regulator who's been, you know, not, not, not you know, not giving uh, eight, uh, companies that are permit seeking permits a lot of, you know, uh, wiggle room, you know, they've been holding them to the standards. Sometimes it's just the cumulative impacts. So if you've got a lot of industry concentrated, you know, you might look at those individual operations and think that they're maybe um, fit within what's acceptable under the various statutes and regulations. But when you look at those cumulative impacts, maybe you have a different way of understanding how that is affecting the people that are, are, are nearby. Thank you very much. Very interesting. Let's talk about well, you're here because we want to make the suppliers through the OESA, we want to make them aware of these upcoming policies, changes, the impact, what it's going to mean if, if they're being asked to do more diligence, if I can use that mm -hmm. word. So sure. I know you're saying that organ through organizations like OESA, suppliers should keep a wary eye on the development of these potentially transformative initiatives and take advantage of the opportunities to influence them. Now that sounds like advocacy. It sounds to me, Kurt, like stepping up, getting involved, having a voice, being involved, maybe through OESA and other organizations of saying, we want to be a part of how these initiatives get shaped and get implemented. Am I on the right track here? Yeah, absolutely. And and I think one of the lines we sometimes use is if you're not at the table, you may end up on the table. So you, you, you definitely, want to avail yourself, um, you know, at the state level or regional level, you want to be part of that conversation about how things are being implemented, because if you're not there, you know, you might become that sort of sacrificial lamb sometimes, because you know, many, many states are looking to uh, reduce emissions, whether it be greenhouse gases, whether it be conventional pollutants. Um, and what we've seen is that there are people that become very involved in, in that process and at least understand what's coming. Uh, and then there are the people that kind of put their head in their sand and say, I'll wait for something to come out that requires me to do something. 
Um, they're, they're obviously playing catch up then uh, compared to their competitors who have remained uh, active and informed. And, and I think it really is incumbent on people to understand what's coming, right? Because you can make much more informed decisions. You know, where do I invest money in that new production line or that new coding line? Um, I think there are a lot of decisions like that will, that will be impacted based on what's going on into whether it be greenhouse gases or just dealing with conventional pollution and, and also environmental justice. I mean, there's a lot of overlap here between these, these concepts. And I, I think even though we, we know these are priorities, we're still waiting to see how they're going to take form. So I, I think my, my, my advice would, to anybody would be, you know, get a seat at the table, be part of those conversations and, and, and make sure that you're aware of what's out there because it might fundamentally change where you think you're headed. Very interesting. And, and I know we're in an environment, Kurt, right now coming out of the pandemic, out of a year where in 2020, the automotive production lines in the U.S. were shut down, according to Julie Freem, the CEO of OESA, told me last year, 48 days, not a car was produced. So we're looking at catching up. We're looking at the question of new models and new types. We've got shortages in some of the supply, some of the parts. And I just got a note from a local car dealer here. I'm in Durham, North Carolina. And they said, we can't guarantee we're going to have inventory, whether it's new or used, any, any further out than the next six weeks. Of course, the message was, if you want to sell your car, we'll be happy to buy it from you. Sure. But the point is, if, if this means people are going to be driving perhaps older cars, the cars that didn't go too much on the road during the pandemic, where are we going to go? The question is, if they're going to increase EJ, EPA initiatives, and the standards are going to get tighter for things like inspections, what is that going to do to the average person driving a car going forward? Any Any quick comments? I know that's not our focus today, but... Everybody listening has a car somewhere. So what do you think? Yeah, so the, the chip shortages and COVID together were a real one-two punch, I think, for, for, for many people in the industry. It's disrupted, certainly disrupted the normal production that I think the uh, automotives would like to see. Um, you know, you talk about how it affects the average person. You know, if you're in an ozone non-attainment area, and there are many of them across the country, you know, one of the consequences of failing to meet those standards uh, those national ambient air quality standards as you get inspection and maintenance programs. And I think people that have had to go through that additional um, sort of regulation you know, know that it's not always fun to have to deal with that extra uh, burden. Uh, I, I think that's one of the things you're seeing on a local basis, just if you're not able to meet uh, uh, the air quality standards. Thank you very much. Kirk Kissling, any final words of advice or a suggestion or advocacy you have for our OESA audience? Just to, to keep yourself informed, to pay attention and, and participate in work groups when you're offered that chance. Because, it, you know, like I said, if, if, if you're not seated at the table, you often end up on it. And I'm going to even paraphrase that because in the notes you sent me, you said if you aren't at the table discussing the issue, you may appear on the menu. Very much. That, that's, that's a very picturesque way of putting it. Kurt Kissling, it's been a ple pleasure and a privilege speaking with you. You're at Warner Norcross and Judd's Detroit office, specializing in environmental law. We're so happy you're here. Thank you for sharing your insights. Bonnie D. Graham saying goodbye for OESA Automotive Insiders. Kurt, wave bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Automotive Insiders, presented by OESA. Listen at your convenience to industry thought leaders as they discuss the ever-evolving industry and how companies can thrive in the new mobility landscape.
All episodes are on demand on the Voice America Business Channel and at OESA.org. Automotive Insider is presented by the Original Equipment Suppliers Association.